Hot and Bothered is a comedic web series um, that's about like two best friends, stoner pals in Dayton, Ohio, and they make this uh, dating app for lesbians. It's the grinder for lesbians, if you will, called Scissor, and it just blows up. And, you know, conflict. <laughs> All right, hold on, hold on. So, tell me what the fuck happened next. Okay, so like, we're on the date, right? Right. And then we had dinner. I like wrote, direct, and star in it. I play like the character Liz in it because the two main characters are Liz and Stan. And this was based off me and my friend. Like when I first was writing the first two episodes, like the episode two in the club, when I first wrote that, it was like two weeks after. It was like I was literally writing a time that me and my friend went to the club two weeks ago just verbatim, basically like the funny situations that happened. That was like the first script was, that episode is probably <laughs> the most very literal to like a whole like, day. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but So what happens? Walk me through it. Okay, so the characters are going out to the club and... Liz is like, why do we always have to go with straight night? Like, I remember literally saying that. <laughs> um, and what basically what happens uh, is, you know, they go to the club. It's the only time anyone ever goes, duh. You guys ready? Like, my friend sees this girl dancing and stuff and, like, doesn't go up to talk to her, but then she ends up like being queer and talking to me. And, but also there was like this whole situation I didn't add. I had it in like one of the scripts, but uh, where it was like straight night. And I, I was like, I thought there was this person that looked, you know, stereotypically queer. And um, I went up to them and I was just like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> it was so awkward. Okay, so basically I went up to start you know, like hitting on them and they're like yeah like we were just casually talking and at one point she was like yeah I haven't really been out dancing much like since I'm married and I was like <laughs> and this happened a few years ago when like gay marriage was new and I was just like oh did you like finally make it like official now that's legal and she was like I'm married to a man and I was just like I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> it was awkward, but I put that in the script originally because that was from like that night I was writing, referencing from, and I thought it was a funny situation. Um, and did it make it in the in the episode? No, I don't remember why. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like workshopping it at school and stuff, it was something that fell out. <laughs> yeah. So so you wrote this while you were studying while you were in school. Yeah, this was um, my thesis project for Wright State film school, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, the first two episodes was, they were my uh, junior thesis project, and then I continued uh, and made episodes three through six for my senior thesis. So overall, season one was like my junior and se senior thesis to graduate and have my degree. Mm -hmm. So it's really cool that it's like screening and doing well because it's like, I just made this to graduate, you know? Like at the end of the day, but it's like, I wanted to make it, you know what I mean? Nah, dude, like you should make it a swiping app. But that's been done already. 
Well, yeah, and it's successful. I mean... Well, look at Snapchat. Everything's Snapchat now, dude. Okay. Everything is Snapchat now. That's true. I don't know, man. Is that what the queer ladies want? Like, I feel like it's too impersonal. Well, what do the queer ladies want? You know, like a match rating system, like common interest sort of... Okay, God, okay. dude, that's gross. But then, like, there'll also be, like, a swiping option, you know, just trying to please everyone, you know what I mean? I gotcha, I gotcha. Expand on all the lady gays. Exactly. It's gotta just be inclusive. Whoa, 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 whoa. How old are you? Are you allowed to be in here? I can paint you a picture of, like, my growing up experience and also how I perceive, like, Dayton as a whole. So, like, for me growing up, like, I'm biracial, like, half black, half white, and, um, you know, queer and st such. <laughs> <laughs> so for me growing up, like, uh, me and my siblings, I'm the youngest of three, me and my siblings, uh, we were like all in Catholic school, kindergarten through like graduating high school, I was in Catholic school, and it was like predominantly white, and you know, like, gay is bad, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that was, pretty drilled in and I feel like our household was pretty like Christian and like no no you know what I'm saying? can't do that here <laughs> slap out of it and so how did that affect you like uh you know internally what was your process of kind of dealing with that obviously getting to getting getting your ideas out through comedy I want to talk about that a little bit later on but you know if you can talk about your emotions before you even thought of hot, of hot and bothered like your emotional landscape, you know, as you kind of found out who you were and how, and how you were perceived, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was definitely a process. So because of those things I described when I realized I might not be the straightest in the corn patch, I, <laughs> I was just like, oh no, this is awful and I would like stress about it on the daily when I was like basically a freshman in high school like 14 I was just like really stressed and like scared I was like nobody can know I have to hide it you know what I mean and that went on for about two years I was just like and uh and then what what helped me like start getting out of that was actually like the queer spaces I found online and like on YouTube and stuff and like seeing all of that community virtually helped me be like, oh, it's fine. And like slowly ease into accepting myself, seeing all these people. And that's actually, I feel like part of why I wanted to make a web series because uh, I'm like so obsessed with web content and web, like web content is what made me want to be a filmmaker. It's yeah, what inspired you? What, were, what are some, give me some of the, of your faves, you know, the stuff that was like, that gets you fired up when you're like, oh, shit, like, I need to be, I need to, I want to express myself this way. Like, on the way. internet? Yeah, what were the early, walk me through the, uh, <laughs> the progression of the Leah Bird, like, you know, you're on the internet, you're watching these things, web series, what what are they? I mean, I, I mean, it's just like when I was in middle school, I literally did a presentation on, like, how YouTube works, like, with the partnering and stuff, because I was, like, so obsessed. I mean, I feel like when I was younger, it was because back then, because YouTube has gone through phases, back then, like, comedy skits were, like, really popping, and then there was also um, music videos, because it was before, like, basically before you could copyright everything, and you could just make your own music videos with t popular songs. Uh, so those are, like, the two main subcategories I used to be into 
But, I mean, I just feel like the people, it's just, like, kind of common popular people of the time. Like, I remember I was, like, into Smosh and stuff. And there's, they still are alive today. Um, but I used to enter music video contests. And when I was, like, 15, I actually got eighth place and won a T-shirt. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And that was cool. But, YouTube T-shirt. What kind of, what did it have on the T-shirt? Oh, it was, like, well, the contest was for, like, this band it was like this group oh wait no it was just the shirt was merch from uh it was a strawberry 17 okay merch nice don't go look that up now (laughs) (laughs) um insert strawberry 17 clip right now i know (laughs) but so then what happened after that so you're so you're getting inspired by all this content and obviously you're growing up in the age in like golden age of internet is like before youtube has become now everyone's making a living off YouTube. It's like it was coming yeah. up. Yeah, and that's why I found so inspiring. I think also because it's just like on the internet, like I said, I was drawn to these queer spaces. I saw people like me making content and doing it and succeeding. So I was like, oh, there's space for me here. You know, there was already proof of concept of many people succeeding, uh, doing something that I felt like was similar vein to what I would want to do. Um, and at that time, like early on, I was like really into the idea of doing like comedy skits and stuff. I was just really drawn to comedy. I've always been like making jokes and silly, you know. Um, so I was, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I was like, yeah, I want to do like little skits. And actually, when I first wanted to do a web series, I okay, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, I always wanted to do comedy skits on YouTube. Then when I saw Broad City and I learned about how they made a web series and then, you know, it turns into the show. At this spare point. Nickel, spare a quarter, spare a dollar. Oh, I don't have any cash, man, I'm sorry. All right, well, you have a wonderful day. Uh, um, I actually, I have a 10. If you could give me eight back, we're, we're good. Yeah, I have eight. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you, you so much, All yes. Right. Have Thank a good day. You. God bless you. Okay, Seriously, and this that? is for the bagel. Whoa. Thank you. Make cash the homeless I just said thank you for the bagel, and you say, "What do you mean?" Yeah, I mean you don't do that. That's I don't know how you don't see that. That's disrespectful. First of all, it isn't disrespectful. I employed him momentarily. Okay, that's disrespectful. I don't know. You understand that? No, it isn't. Abby. That was dignified. That's when I started learning about web series and learning about other people that have done it successfully. Then I was like, I don't want to just make YouTube videos. I want to make a web series. It seemed like more structured and like official. So I was like, I'm doing that, you know? Um, and yeah, I, I don't remember. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. No. So what drew you? So it's like rather than doing a short film or a feature film, what, what keeps you wanting to come back to like episodic storytelling? Because you create really good characters you are the star but you also have good supporting characters who are you know equally keeping the comedy alive you know what i mean can you uh can you talk a little bit about each can you go through each character and just kind of give us kind of what role they played in your life or how you wrote them you know what i mean yeah because they each have a unique style to them and maybe you can just talk about that. I mean, we can talk about the actual actors themselves, how you found them. Well, yeah, because I do feel like I have to give credit in that uh, I encouraged a lot of improv. So for certain characters, a lot of it, like certain scenes where it was really funny, I was them being like improvising and being funny uh, yeah, people. Yeah. <laughs> but So who are the people we're talking about? Who are the actual actors, the, the people themselves, not the characters? Like, uh, you know... 
Do you want to talk about them at all? And who, you know, what it's like on set? Oh, geez. It was like, so was, we were doing casting and uh, we actually, we actually offered the role to somebody and which, by the way, um, Ian is, he's like an acting major at Wright State as well. So I was like a film major, he was acting major. Um, most all of the main reoccurring crew members are acting majors or like musical theater, you know, they're in the acting world at Wright State, except um, Austin. And what character does Austin play? Austin plays Kev, the uh, flaming co-worker. <laughs> so I'm doing this new military diet. A military diet? Yes. I so I had one green grape today. One green grape? Mm -hmm. Do you know how many calories are in one green grape? Do you like see, am I like bloated? Oh my gosh, you got a grape baby. Oh God. Hmm. <laughs> hey. It's our babe. <laughs> what, no hello? All right, well, you know. Not like we forgot about your machine globe of a sweater you were wearing. I mean, we weren't that intoxicated. <laughs> hey, it was cute and uh, my dead grandma knitted this for me so I'm gonna wear it sort of way. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> no. And uh, I actually met him in high school. Uh, so you go way back. Yeah, we. he stopped going to my school. I, uh, after a year and a half or so, but we actually met them. We met then. Uh, in fun fact, we were each other's first person we came out to <laughs> back in those closeted days. That's amazing. Yeah, and how I, it's just like, I actually hadn't talked to him in a while. Um, I just, I feel like I just talked to him every once in a while, but this project actually made us become like friends again. Yeah. Um, but I knew that he was like doing stand-up comedy and he actually asked me to help film him do it so he could submit it to a competition. And I was like, he's very funny. And I just thought he'd be perfect for it because I'm like, he's naturally funny and he's queer. It's just like, that's who I'm going for. <laughs> so you basically, did you write the part? For him. For him, basically? Uh, or how did you write I probably, the part? It's like, I honestly can't even remember, but I knew I wanted him to do it. So I... And then when he said yes, I probably was writing it for him. See, that's the thing. It's like after I did the first two episodes and I knew most of the people playing it, I started writing it to like them because it's just like after doing the first two episodes and working with everybody a little bit, I'm like, okay, I feel like I have a bit of a feeling now of like, you know, yeah. how this character is and how you're going to be the character. So it kind of made it a little easier to paint the scenes and shit. <laughs> yeah, you started to kind of feel the essence of the actors themselves and and I feel like comedy is is definitely a challenging medium in that like you have to definitely feel out that fine all the you have to like be aware of the very subtle energies you know what I mean on set or in the characters themselves and you know delivery can be a huge part of it is like do you have any like advice for people or advice for yourself or things for that comedy. you would recommend you know, someone else who's, you know, or even yourself like three years ago or something? Well, what I learned after doing the first two episodes, uh, well, one was like, uh, you can't, you can't improvise everything while you're shooting because it just makes editing a mess. <laughs> there was like one scene in the first episode. It was such a, so hard to edit because it was just, it was us walking down the street smoking because we just... <laughs> We were just like, oh, I'll just improvise it. But it's just like, it was so hard to find parts that lined up so it made sense because it was just slightly different. 
mistakes. So I have some concrete parts, but what I really learned was like uh, having a lot of rehearsals with the actors and uh, doing the improvising beforehand. So just trying out jokes and stuff and then like writing it down as you go of like, ooh, this one's working, ooh, this one's funny. Um, and then so then when we're shooting, it's like, okay, we have, we already have our enhanced improvised lines. We already figured out, you know, so you, can, so you already know it. Right. That's what I learned to do, <laughs> yeah. and it worked much better. Yeah, yeah. You can definitely feel a progression with each episode that's kind of honing in on this very particular style. And, uh, yeah, I feel like it, it is a style that is able to compete with other, you know, episodic storytelling comedies out there. And so trying to think of, you know, that's it's just like that's another thing I love about the internet is just like when improvising and stuff it's just like say fucking anything this is going to be on the internet it doesn't you don't have to censor yourself you know say you like eating ass I don't care (laughs) (laughs) I just remember there was a time where it was like can we say this and it was just like yeah say whatever we have to say it (laughs) say anything that you come that comes along yeah I feel like what makes the show funny is that it's uh or successful is that it's like it's it's your life exposed in a, in through comedy, but also there's intimate like relationships. Can you talk about like how, you know, how do you think comedy is addressing, you know, the broader, cause it's based in Dayton and it's based in your life, but do you think that you are able to address things that other people in other cities are going through like with comedy and with your story? I believe so. I mean, that I like the thinking I was thinking like you know I assume that by exploring issues in Dayton it's uh similar to other cities of similar size especially probably in the Midwest uh because it's just like episode three I talk about Oakwood which is like the rich white community of Dayton and it's like its own separate city even though it's like right in Dayton and it's just kind of like the good comparison uh to like say like the west side which you know is predominantly black and poor and has less resources they close the hospital near us it's a food desert you know it has a lot of issues i'm throwing a party this weekend your place no 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 no. my grandma's she just died and we'll have the place to ourselves. a bunch of beer music girls i don't know maybe drugs are you a cop uh no well i'll see you guys there then right so where's this party going to be at? Oakwood. Oakwood. Oakwood party. Basically, the end of episode three, they go to this Oakwood party. Um, and Liz meets, you know, a love interest and goes home with her. And episode four opens up, like, in bed, you know, post-hookup. And uh, (laughs) it's just this silly, like, sort of montage of, like, Liz, like, jumps out of bed. And then it's, like, to the instrumental of Beyonce check up on it. (laughs) And then it's just, it's almost like a flash mob. It's just, like, uh, starts dancing and then dancers join in and... I don't know. It's just like this whole thing. Oh, yeah. And then, like, I have my own lyrics over top, uh, basically describing what just happened. Like, it's like, right. last night was shit. 
it was totally a banger banger like i mean i can <laughs> sing it all <laughs> I guess I just feel like I love it when shows do that shit. Like, I love it. And I, I remember when I thought of the idea, like, I remember I was sitting in my car in a parking lot, and I thought of this idea for the web series of, like, oh, when my character finally hooks up with somebody, there's this, like, dance montage. And I, like, remember specifically, I was like, I want dancers to join because that would be hilarious. Um, but I just, I love, I don't know, I... I love that. And I just love the idea of like, uh, it's just like normal life and then suddenly it's just, you know, it's just like expressing that feeling of like, yay! And then it just, it just all fades away and the people just walk away and it's like back to normal. It's just like walking on your day. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like nothing ever happened. Yes. Because that's how it feels. I feel like when you are like swept up in an emotion, like uh, at least I like picture myself like oh actually I, I remember when I was uh describing that scene to the dancers and stuff I was like I was just like have you seen 500 days of summer and everyone would be like no <laughs> so I'd have to show them the YouTube clip you know when they go like what I like have you seen that I don't remember it. Okay, no one's seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, it's not something in my memory, so describe I, it though. Okay, okay, so in that movie, uh, the main character, he like hooks up with this girl he really likes, and afterwards he's leaving, and then it's like this music montage and everyone just starts dancing, and I was inspired by that, and I was just like, I want, I was like, I want that, but like zero budget version. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I told everybody. I was like, we're, I was like, it's 500 days of summer, zero budget dance sequence. On a night And we pulled it off, and it was crazy, because that was the most complex shot of the whole thing. Um, and I didn't think we were going to pull it off, but we did. It was so cool, because, like, me and my friend made up the dance, like, a week prior to shooting, and, like, recorded ourselves doing it, like, right here in this living room. And then I sent it to the dancers, and I was like, learn this. And it was so tiring to shoot, because I had to keep running back and forth each take and, like, running like I'm excited. It was so exhausting. Like in between takes, yeah. I'd be sitting down, like blotting my sweat, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd be like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah, you were putting in the work. Like, I was like, I have to act super excited and like <laughs> every time, but it was worth it. I mean, when we screened it at Black Star, some people were clapping during that part, and I was like, <laughs> "Yeah." So maybe a good question would be. How, what has the journey been since it's been released? And what were you thinking of? Like, what do you want? What is ideal? How, what do you want to happen with Hot and Bothered? Like, and like, what do you think it's in conversation? Where do you ideally want it to be in conversation with? You know what I mean? As far as other filmmakers, um, where do you, where do you see it going in the future? If you, you know, no limits. Like, if I could continue the project? Yeah, yeah. If you can continue it and also... If you can talk about the journey of of trying to get it out in the public, like what made you decide to put it, you know, describe where you put it in, in you know, where you, on the internet, you know what I mean? I don't oh. want to tell the story for okay, you. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I have it on our Facebook page. I have it on my Vimeo as well. But, I mean, 
like the reason I wanted I wanted to I knew that I wanted to just like post it on YouTube. Well, it's not on YouTube yet, but I can I'm doing, I'm going to do that. Um, you are the YouTube expert. I know. <laughs> I feel like that's why I'm nervous to like I just keep holding off cuz I'm like it has to be perfect. But <laughs> yeah. I'll do that soon. Um but no, I knew that I wanted to post it online in general cuz I remember before I did I was talking to some people and some people like recommended I remember a filmmaker I met at a festival was said I'd be I'd be like an idiot if I didn't like have it as like pay per view or like have a paywall to view it. They're like this is good enough like you'd be stupid to just have this online for free. Right. <laughs> but that's what I did. But I to me it's just like you know I was inspired by watching all this stuff online. I was just like from my point of view I'm like it's not going to be seen by the people I want it to be seen by if there's a paywall, you know. Right. I'm just like, what's the point? Um, and because it's just like, I knew that growing up, I liked seeing, uh, you know, these people online, these characters that more reflected me in my lived experience that I didn't see in TVs or movies. And it's like, um, I just feel like if there's a paywall, the people that might need to see this the most aren't gonna see it, you know? Uh, right, right. Like, because that was you a few years ago, right? Yeah, exactly. I would have. I never would have paid a paywall. I remember there was this queer web series I really liked, and you could just see like two episodes, and you had to pay the rest. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll never see it. <laughs> right. Because it. I don't know. It's just like I. At least my perspective was like I could understand maybe later having something like that, but for this project, uh, it's supposed to be accessible to queer youth right. like that's the whole point it's like representation and it's like yeah yeah basically I was thinking having it out for free would be like a proof of concept to like I don't know figure out some stuff and then perhaps a season two I could play more with changing it up since uh there's already people interested in watching who've seen season, who'd seen season one right. you know so what do you want most to happen with Hot and Bother. That's what I'm curious about. And with your work in the future. You know, where where do you see yourself three years from now? You know, the long kind of the long game of like, what do you want most? Um, well, I'm like I'm working on a pilot adaptation of Hot and Bothered and submitting it to things and stuff. And I just feel like in the next couple of months I'm just gonna keep, you know, rewriting and polishing that script until it's the funniest thing ever. And uh, just keep pushing it and, you know, make a season two and see if I can hold on to that and just truly do the festival circuit and not just immediately release it and see where that goes. And just because uh, if if it keeps doing well and stuff, it'll just be more like proof of concept to like help the pilot. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just like it'd be so cool if I could do like a 30-minute version of the show like that would be amazing yeah. that would be goals and goals <laughs> uh and yeah it's just like I'm trying to do that and I'm also just uh trying to get in a writer's room I want to I think it would be so cool to work in a writer's room for a comedic television show like I'm applying to like writing labs and stuff too uh because you know I just feel like I'd learn so much uh but yeah my like goals are to work on episodic comedy shows like whether it's like getting into the writing or if the pilot somebody's into it that would be amazing but overall like long term I would love to like create my own shows that's why it'd be crazy if 
somebody did like hot and bother because I'd just be like, dang, I already did it, you know, because like that's something that I feel like would take time. Um, but yeah, I just want to, I want to create my own shows, you know, I comedy shows that poke fun at real shit. That's the genre. <laughs> that's it. Do you have any? Well, so one, I feel like there has been definitely. How do you feel that Hot Mother's been received so far? You've gotten some, some like you know awards or just. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been received pretty well. <laughs> yeah, who, I, who's giving you some feedback? Who's giving you, you know, not feedback as in notes, but just, you know, you've put it out there. Where where are the places? Where is it screened and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um. It's screened in Columbia, Missouri at Citizen Jane Film Festival. It, the first two episodes opened up for the Emmy, like, award-winning web series Brown Girls. It has an HBO thing in the deal, in the works or whatever. Um, and it's screened at, like, what is it, like, Q-Fest. There's, like, a few that are so similar names, like Q-Fest, Q-Flicks in Philadelphia. It, Black Star, the first, because, okay, we first screened the first two episodes around places and then once I had the full season I screened at places so it's a bit different but okay it's screened you know in Missouri it's screened in St. Louis uh Philadelphia a few times um but yeah so so it's getting out there like it's starting it's just do you feel like this is just the very beginning yeah of, of things starting to cook because uh yeah we screened the first two episodes at Black Star yeah, what is Black Star? Year. Can you talk about Black Star? Black Star Film Festival is a super dope film festival in Philadelphia and it's for, you know, black people. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I'm i going to say this wrong, but it's like black people and, you know, like African dysphoria thing. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it is honestly like a magical experience. I love it. Like going there like really inspired me and you know, changed my, I feel like, thinking and path of, like, blah, blah, blah. Because it's just, <coughs> it's just, like, so crazy and inspiring to be in a space that's just, like, only black people, filmmakers, creatives, and just, like, I don't know. It's just crazy, like, killing it and excelling and just, like, talking about many different issues. And because it, and it's it's just also crazy because I remember when I was there this past year, it had me thinking like, man, it just really makes you realize how your day-to-day -day life is just like a white world. Because when you're in this uh, world that's catered for black people, you, like every small thing you're like, huh, you know, that you right, never right. think about before because it's just like default. Because like I remember I was thinking that even the commercials before like a screening, you know, right. at the festival, it was just... It was for some network that I think like specifically had black media and like I was just thinking like you know I don't really feel like I see commercials that are just like geared for black people and only have black people and just like hey you want to watch this black media we got you and <laughs> I was just like I don't know it just has you thinking a lot about tiny things but it's just like really cool it's just really inspiring because uh, I guess here in Dayton Ohio I often feel you don't. I don't feel that sense of community. I don't feel that space. So it's really nice to go places and like be like, oh, this is real. And it is just such a different. <laughs> it's such a different feeling in like uh, the online spaces and the virtual community to actually be there physically with people. Um, 
it, it really motivates me and keeps me going because it's just like, I don't know, it's just like there are people out there that like what I'm doing and the, you know, it's just cool. Yeah, you found like a community of people of color like that are doing creative work and you can like, yeah, it's like a little home that you feel like you're like, oh, I didn't know this existed. So now I have, I have, you know, I have my people now. And so that, that can definitely, do you feel like that can help transcend the kind of like fear of the unknown about like, well, I'm just alone here. I'm making, making this work. Yeah. It feels, it feels like I have this like net almost of like community and like, it's just like, I'll, I don't, I don't know. It's just like, I know these people are interested and I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Did you see any, any other work that, that really struck you when you were at Black Star this year? Um, I actually, like, didn't see a lot. <laughs> uh, okay. It's like, uh, I Are saw... There any other artists or filmmakers or both that are artists that you admire right now? Or you want to, like, be in a few years, you want to be in conversation, maybe even collaborating with them? Who, like... And if there are, who are those people? Oh, like dream people? Dream people that maybe aren't so far away, you know what I mean? If you, I, oh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. As time goes by, <laughs> who knows, you know? Um, I mean, I feel like Lena Waithe is very inspiring. Come on, we all know. Every, <laughs> I just feel like every black queer is like, like yay <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like everything she's doing she's like killing it I just feel like almost every month it's like oh she has this new project and it's like how <laughs> but no I uh so we need to get you working with Lena Waithe like stat yeah like spam her message <laughs> <laughs> um yeah because I I mean the script thing I applied to oh no it was um yeah she seems super cool uh I mean, Issa Rae so, seems so cool, too. I love Insecure. It's so inspiring. Because her path was also, like, web series to network, to, well, HBO. Um, and I, I love that show. I think, that's, I think it's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, What do you like about it? Um, like, the characters? Or can you go into any of it? Uh, the well, writing? I've... I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's a similar of, like, it's this comedy, and they poke fun at, like, you know, real stuff that's going on, and it's, like, from this black perspective, and it, I guess it, it kind of feels a little similar in that it's, like, this black perspective in this white world, because there's a lot of uh, situations they talk about, like, working, like, how like race issues and working, which is just like so relatable. It's just like, I feel like every place I work, you deal with racism. Um, and I don't know, it's just, it's nice. <laughs> 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 oh, Dear White People is also really good too. Um, yeah, I don't Yeah, yeah. Did you, uh, and so the series, what you're talking about mainly, right? Series? Dear White People? There's oh yeah. The, so there was the movie? Yeah, and yeah I like, forgot, yeah. I haven't seen the movie. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Justin Simeon. That's, it's just, I just honestly think it's like really good writing, like Insecure and Dear White People. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, there's just many moments where I'm like, oh, that I just feel like no other shows are like commenting on. And that's why I like, and that's why I try to do it Hot Bothers, like comment on stuff that I'm like, these are the annoying things that happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
That, so do you find yourself in life like now that you have hot and bothered and you're like, you know, you are creating content, you're, 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 you know, you're using comedy to critique American culture from your own perspective. Do you feel, do you find yourself taking notes whenever you experience like a little microaggression yes. or, you know, walk me through that. Like, how are you going through your life? And you're like, oh shit, that's like, you know, like funny instances, but they're actually kind of, they're actually tragic when they happen, but you can make them a comedy, you know? Yes. Oh my gosh. That makes me want to like look at my phone at like what I have written. Yeah, we can pause. Go ahead. <laughs> because I do that. Because uh, ever since I started doing Hot and Bothered, I just write down notes of like any idea. So then later when I'm writing, I can like look through a million ideas yeah, yeah. and pick out if anything's popping. I, I just want to look because I think there was something recent that I wrote down that was funny. <laughs> yeah, walk us through it. If you find some stuff, just just go with it. Yeah, I just write down any idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is so stupid. Uh, I just want... I, this isn't even a joke, but it's just like I wanted... I just noticed on dating apps how I feel like there's a lot of coded language and I notice I feel like people often uh, like white people will say like you know I'm looking for just a nice dark-haired girl and I just like I just feel like that's coded language for like white person you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was just like I want to somehow make a joke about that but I don't have a joke <laughs> but um like I saw, I saw a little post where they were just like looking for a dark-haired femme, and it just had me thinking more about that how I see it in like TV shows and stuff, and then it like put me down this rabbit hole of like how in like Thirty Rock, Tina Fey, her like a big thing about her characters like. I'm like a fucking, I have brown curly hair. I'm like dark white. Oh God, I wish I was blonde. And <laughs> <laughs> I just was like, what is that? And I was, and it had me thinking like how I see that in so many shows growing up. Like I was like, like there's always the like curly haired, like the dark curly haired one that's supposed to be like the dorky one, like yeah. the different flavors of white we see in like all the shows. And it's just like, <laughs> and it just, like, that used to always bothered me in 30 Rock. I'm, like, so relatable. Like, I wish I was a blonde instead of the brown hair white. Like, <laughs> and, and, like, in uh, Parks and Rec, Ron is just, like, oh, like, dark-haired women. But it's, like, white, dark-haired women. You know, it's, like, it's just coded. Yeah, whiteness is implied Exactly. In all these that's what I'm saying. It's this coded language. And that's why I'm, like, I want to somehow comment on that because I'm, like, I'm, like. Like, show up with a dark-haired woman who's black. And they're, like, no, I like dark-haired women not yeah. black women it's like this asterisk <laughs> and it's just like because <laughs> it, it it's just like this coded language of like white people being like yeah blondes brunettes and it's just like <laughs> you don't mean anybody <laughs> but yeah. uh yeah anytime i think of something that like bothers me it's like anytime i think of something that bothers me like that yeah. i just make a little note like I was uh, saying, that clip in my pilot about the black people phone. Right. That was uh, something that happened a few years ago, but I wrote it down in my notes and was like, oh yeah, I forgot well, about that. What's the joke? I don't oh, yeah, yeah. say it on camera. I did not. So the joke is, it's like some dust. <laughs> the joke uh, is, 
well, I'll just tell if this is what happened to me in real life. So I was like at this party talking to this girl and I was said something about my phone being crappy and I was just like, oh, my phone's going crappy. It's like Boost Mobile. Oh, sorry, Boost Mobile. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I was like, it's Boost Mobile. Sorry, Boost. <laughs> You're not getting boosted. Um, and she was like, what's that? And I was like, black people phone. And then she just awkwardly was like, oh, oh, I have black friends. And <laughs> my friend I was with literally started like cackling, laughing, and fell to her knees because it, it was just so awkward and weird. You know, it was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then after that, it made me think of this like song parody to like uh, the song like A Whole New World where it's like a whole new black where it's like... <laughs> I can show you black friends. <laughs> Let me show you both one and two. I'll have fun with them plus you on our magic black friend time. A whole new black. And it's like <laughs> a new ethnicity to pursue. A whole new black. And it's like a yeah. brand new shade I never knew. And that's like it. Oh, get it. <laughs> but that's what I uh, wrote. But yeah, it's just like I. Th it's just like when these things that are awful happen, I'm like, that's hilarious. So let me add that because that was like the um, scene in episode one with the uh, dinner scene yeah. where let me paint the picture. It's like yeah, Liz. Yeah, this is like basically the opening scene of the web series. Um, it starts off. Liz is talking to Stan. It's like. It's like, man, I can't believe that fucking happened. Like, and then it like flashes back to this memory. Like, Liz has been talking to this girl for a while, and they're like having this dinner, dimly lit, so romantic, candlelit. And uh, Liz is just like awkwardly like, uh, like basically like, so like, you want to make this official and be my girlfriend? And she's like, oh god, I I can't. Like, I tried to tell you, like. My grandma, she's like basically dying. I just don't think she could handle it right now. Like my family can't handle it. Like no. Wouldn't she want you to be happy? Oh, that would not make her happy. <laughs> <laughs> why not? She doesn't want you to be happy? Right. And I'm like, but why not? And I'm just like basically pushing like, why not? Like, don't they want to see you happy? Like, are they really that homophobic? Yeah. And she's like, oh. No, it's not because she's homophobic. No, oh my god, she coached softball. Her favorite character on Rugrats is Phil and Lil's mom. She, god, it's because you're, you're black. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's this montage of like moments where it's just like supposed to be like, oh shit, she was like that, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah, she's like, no, silly, it's because you're black. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought of that because, um, like, that was actually one of the first skits I wrote because yeah. uh, that happened to me like in 2015 I was hanging out with a friend and like her family saw me like her grandma saw me and she like wasn't out to her family and uh, apparently her grandma was like I don't care if you're a lesbian but you can't be with a black person talking about me <laughs> and I was just like like at first I was like ouch but then I was like no it's kind of funny <laughs> I was like that I, it just made me instantly think of like a skit we're like, happened. thanks for the material. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for the awards, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take this and turn it on you. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like the best, honestly, I feel like the best jokes are like stuff that happens in real life because yeah. it's real. Totally. So how does, um, like, like being, what's well, close to my heart, being like 
having one white parent, one black parent, like how has that influenced your work or just your perception being keen to notice uh, different different vibes in a space where and white noticing white supremacy and things like this how they manifest in these real real small levels where you're you know not maybe you, you wouldn't even be it's expected to address it but I feel like you know you have a way of doing that does that affect your life at all and and like you know how addressing racism yeah like from a biracial perspective like how how does that have any influence on your life yeah, most definitely. It's just like, it's like hard to even talk about because it's just like, it's like, I feel like I'm still learning, you know? Um, because, I don't know, it was definitely a process of like growing up, I feel like, in predominantly white spaces. And then I feel like going to college and basically becoming self-aware about that growing up and how I have, I like had a lot of biases based on that. And trying to like unlearn that basically and so I mean it's been a process definitely and that's why it's been nice going to Blackstar and going to like other things like Ally Media Conference in Detroit and stuff because um, I just feel like it's like unlearning stuff because I didn't I wasn't in these community spaces before and I was like only thinking and it's just I guess it's just going to these other spaces I am learning more about tiny things I didn't think about that you're just like oh this is normal and you're like no this is like colonizer shit still you yeah. know and you're like oh. um, but I don't know like what was, what was it again about me <laughs> yeah just life being biracial I mean maybe talking about like so Okay, so like Allied Media Conference and stuff like that. Um, I saw this film called Black Enough, um, which you suggested to me to see. And so can you talk about like, I experienced this too, where it's like this ambiguity of, of finding your identity, but also being accepted by, you know, whether you should even want to be accepted by both, you know, not that there's both, but that by a spectrum of whiteness and, and blackness and where you're, you know, where do you fit and do you feel torn between and kind of just like, how do you navigate that, you know? Yeah. Emotionally. It, it was definitely a process uh, because I feel like growing up being in like predominantly white space and stuff, it, it was just like disassociating with the black part because it, it just like wasn't there growing up. There wasn't much community uh, and like family, at least on that side of my family, a lot of the people are like dead. Um, and yeah, it it was, it's just like, you definitely constantly feel that like being biracial, that like, where do I fit? I don't really feel like I fit in any space. And that's just how I've always felt. And cause it's just like, it just feels like, oh, you can, queer spaces are made for like predominantly white gay men. And it's just like spaces for women are like for white straight women. And it's just like, there was just like nothing and it's just like you go to a black space you have your insecurities about being mixed and being a bit <laughs> ambiguous <laughs> right and like am i black enough yes Do you ever ask yourself that question uh it's just like I, I feel like not of recent but it's just like growing up you definitely get people saying that type of stuff right. uh i mean i guess yeah there are still times where you just feel a bit like insecure because i mean it it is a different 
perspective and it is just like I am white skinned colorism is real I have privilege in that and stuff so it is just like a different point of view a different growing up thing <laughs> experience yeah. um but I guess going to these spaces and where they're so accepting uh like going to like black queer spaces is nice I feel yeah. it, fe- like it feels accepting there <laughs> um but yeah, yeah, I think you broke it down. Like that's definitely a dynamic. You broke down the d- dynamics of that experience. Like, and it's just I just feel like it's reflected in Dayton, in that like Dayton's one of the most segregated cities for school districts. Like, it's literally like this side of Dayton is like predominantly white. This side is black, and like this is ghost town and less money. You know what I mean? And it's just like so like obvious, you know, uh, and painted like. And like yeah, wealth inequality, like, the poli- like politically divided, racially divided, through through the actual geography of Dayton, right? Yeah, so, there's like the split of the river is basically like are you east side or west side? Um, right. And so you addressed that in Hot and Bother, right? Yeah, I did a little. <laughs> I I do a little explanation of like, okay, so this is Dayton. Here's the white side. Here's the black side. Here's this area. Here's the bubble <laughs> money town. <laughs> you see, this is Dayton. You got your white side of town, your black side, and this little river that divides us all. And then, right over here, you got this nice little bubble of its own city. Cause yeah, they literally made themselves a separate city called Oakwood you might even recognize their biggest local celeb. Wasn't he like a swimmer? I don't know. It's just like, because it's just, I just wanted to add that <laughs> because I remember, like, I just feel like uh, if you're a person of color here, you, like, know. And I bet there are plenty of white people who, like, never grew up, like, hearing that because they're from there. You know what I mean? Like, I remember being younger and, like, my older sister, like, warning me, like, Oakwood like their police are super racist like you have to like be careful there um and I just feel like uh like the clip that I have in there uh I have like my friend who's like this black dude smoking a blunt and then he sees that he's about to enter Oakwood he's like oh no and he like throws it out the window and then he like changes the radio from like hip-hop to like NPR like welcome back to this American life and he puts on like the red MAGA cap <laughs> to like blend in there I literally wrote that because I saw like a friend on Facebook like this black dude he posted saying that he was like listening to like hip hop I think he said Drake which is like mm. but <laughs> sorry Drake and um he said that he was like driving he was like oh I realized I was in Oakwood so I turned down the hip hop <laughs> just turn yeah mute he, he was just like and it's just like uh, that's what it's like. It's just like when you're in Oakwood, you're like, let me just whiten myself up a bit, <laughs> yeah. because you don't, because it's just like, it has a reputation of being like extra racist and extra strict. And yeah. I just wanted to like show that. Um, yeah. So you're kind of addressing the politics of respectability, which is like, you can't be black while driving through certain parts of Dayton. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. real talk yeah so i'm trying to think i probably have a couple more questions but is there anything that you want to talk about that we didn't get to talk about uh do you have any advice to like young you know maybe people who are like in high school or something like queer either you know black women or 
you know, at least like, you know, biracial women who are, you know, someone who's basically you in high school. Do you have any advice, like things that you could, you know, if you could talk directly to them and be like, here's what's up? Uh, I feel like first I try, it's just like, I feel like I would have to say so many things about like identity and stuff. Cause I was, it was like such a hard time, you know, like feeling comfortable um, with like race and sexuality and a bunch of stuff. Uh, I don't know, I probably tell myself like, somehow like being like, I, I'd want to try to say like, there's the community out there, like, like, I'm not alone, like there are other people. And I'd honestly tell myself like to seek out those people and hang out. Cause honestly, um, I just feel like when I was younger, I hung out with a lot of the wrong people for a long time. And I think that, you know, I hadn't traveled much. I mostly was just from Dayton. I barely travel, you know, we didn't travel much as a family growing up. and. So I felt like I didn't really have many other perspectives. And I feel like I, you know, I feel like I mostly hung out with like white straight people who, you know, were problematic in a lot of ways. And- um, Gave you a lot of writing material. Yeah, cause I mean, I feel like that's what, that's the point of view I'm trying to capture and Hot and Bothered is that journey I basically had of like growing up and being in a state of constantly feeling uncomfortable because I I just was constantly uncomfortable with myself. Yeah. Uh, I just felt like I didn't fit in anywhere and like I had nobody in real life. So I got really attached to the internet because I was like, oh, but I felt uncomfortable constantly <laughs> in real life. I remember, like sometimes I think about that in high school, like <laughs> I took German and I used to always I used to always tell myself in German, like, say, saying, like, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> how do you say it? Do you remember how to say it? It's like, it should be, like, unbequem. <laughs> unbequem means uncomfortable. And I used to always be like, oh, my God, I'm, it should be, like, unbequem. <laughs> <laughs> this interview just got uh, bilingual. <laughs> yeah, because it's funny. I remember, like, thinking about that now and just being like, Man, I feel like I used to always think about that because I was so, like, insecure. I was terrified of, like, anybody finding out I was gay. Like, it would have, like, destroyed my own life, it felt like. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's so crazy to look about, look back at that now. And I think that's why it's just, like, when I finally accepted myself, I, like, came out pretty loud. Like, I literally, how I came out to my school, I, like, planned this. How old were you? Uh, when I came out to, like, everybody. Or uh, just the instance you're describing. It was... Uh, I was probably like 17, about to turn 18, if not 18. It was like the end of my senior year. It was the last month because we had to wear uniforms as a Catholic school, but once a month you could pay a dollar to be out of uniform, which I never did because I was like, waste of a dollar. And But I had been planning this. I was like, the last out of uniform day, I'm going to wear a shirt that says nobody knows I'm a lesbian to school. And I did it. And everyone... <laughs> Some people were like, is that a joke? And I was like, no. <laughs> um, You're like, no, it's my way of telling you what's up. Yeah. Uh, it's just like I've very much felt to need to like be loud and to like make content that's accessible and stuff because I know like when I was growing up, there was like two solid years where I felt horrible and I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody. And it was like this, it was a space online and this content and stuff that made me feel a little 
that it like helped me slowly get out of that feeling of like, you know, I can't say anything or like my world will die and like, you know, everyone will hate me or something. Um, yeah. But. Well, you did it. And what, how did it feel once you, once you did it? It, okay. So like, it was really scary at first. Like I remember writing, writing scripts in my like uh, screenwriting class because our class was small. It was like 10 people or so. And we would constantly workshop and share. I remember I was so scared at first because I felt like, I felt like I'm obviously writing about my real life issues. Like it's pretty transparent. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so scared because I just felt like I'm telling all, like all my classmates who it's not like I'm like super close with them. Like these are my like emotional struggles and it was terrifying. But, um, Later, there was just like some, ex there have been many experiences since releasing it and screening at festivals uh, where it makes me realize like people will say stuff to me, like they love it and they're inspired and stuff. And it's just like, there have been several moments like that, that help ease that anxiety that's in me. That's like, don't share, like, don't share, like keep it closed. Don't say anything. Right. There's like. That moment. voice that's going on all the time. Like, don't do it. Don't, yeah. don't be vulnerable. Yeah. There's. Uh, but then I think of those moments where I'm like, no, this is why I'm doing it. And that's why it's so nice to go to these conferences and these film festivals because I see this community and it helps remind me, like, this is who I'm making this for. Right. There and, are people there. Yeah. Like, people are out there. Yeah, who are connecting and stuff. And when I see that, it helps me be like, this is okay. Like, I'm doing the right thing. And it's just taught me that, like, there's a strength in letting yourself be vulnerable in this way. Um, totally. and I, it's just like I still deal with that now. Like when I released, I recently did like a little short uh, kind of poem experimental piece uh, about like basically black trans queer excellence. And uh, when I did that, I was, I was super scared to release that and nervous. Right. And, but I just kept telling myself like, I kept telling myself like, because I'm so nervous and scared, it probably needs to be released, you know? <laughs> it's probably the right thing. And the more yeah. you feel that, you're like, this is it. Yeah, and um, and it's just like, yeah, it can be hard because I feel like you're so used to, like, the mainstream narrative and stuff. And Me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. And you're just like, uh, I don't know, it's scary to talk about things. But no, yeah, it's just... It's been a path of learning, Matt. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's like, you know, I really admire your ability to take take vulnerability, put it out in the world, and make it art that's personal and very, it's like concrete, but it's moving. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I guess we, we didn't talk any, about your family much. Um, what role does your family play in your life? Do you want to talk about that at all? You got sibs. I do. Um, you all grew up in Dayton, right? Yeah. What was that like? Is there any any interesting kind of stories that you have about, you know, your sibs and your life? Or you, what do you think? Well, it's just like growing up. I guess our growing up was like our dad wasn't there super much. Like my parents divorced when I was young. Uh, and he'd kind of be there sometimes and he'd not like I feel like they were like on and off for a while then like my freshman year he was like out of the house uh, and 
I don't know. My family's weird. <laughs> like, that's why I'm just like, I don't know what to say. I feel like. No, this is great. Uh, we we aren't like the most open, vulnerable family. I'd say, oh, you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can relate. Yeah, so I feel like I'm closest with my brother, who I live with now. Uh, Shout out to the broski. Because we're close in age. He's only a year and a half older than me, and he was like a year ahead of me in school. So like we'd share similar like friend groups because it was we were like close in age, uh, but. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's I don't know. So can you go to your brother when you have like when you want to, do you talk, do you like share like intimate things you like? It's like to an extent, <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, but I definitely share the most with him. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't have much to say about my family. No, I, okay. Except, I mean, I guess I could say, like, my mom definitely was always supportive of, like, me doing film, which was nice. Like, there's never a time where it was like, you can't do that. Like, she was always encouraging. Right. Uh, That's awesome. But. Okay, well. I'm trying to think if there's anything. I could talk to you forever, so. Well, I feel like what I was... I feel like what I was saying, I keep going off in tangents, but what I was trying to say before, because I remember I said this yeah. at Black Star. Let's, get, it's let's just, do it. What I'm trying, I feel like what I'm trying to capture and how I'm bothered, it's just like this transition I was having or realizing in college where it just like, I felt like before college, I was like in this very like white straight world and I had a lot of views that were like problematic and stuff because I was like, hanging out with all like my friends and stuff and we all you know thought this way and stuff it seemed normal and basically when I was in college I started realizing like oh no uh I have like a lot of problematic views actually and like uh, when I first traveled I like traveled my junior year and went to San Diego for a little bit and that was like my first time on a plane and I just met like only queer people and there was like people of color and stuff and I was having all these conversations that I had never had you know like with my like white straight friends in Dayton and honestly after that trip I came home and I started realizing like wait a minute like why am I putting up with this why am I being friends with these people like there are other options it was like the first time I met somebody that I feel like I could relate to so much with my identity it, like somebody was like biracial, queer, blah, blah, blah. So like a lot of things we had in common of like like race ambiguity, people being like, what are you? There was just so many similar things that I was just like, oh. And it was like the first time I feel like I hung out with people where the default perspective wasn't white. <laughs> that was like really it. And I was just like, what? <laughs> yeah, I was just like, this exists? Like basically, and we yeah, then when I came, cause it was like not white or straight was like the default perspective. Right. And when I came home and I was just like, hang out with these uh, white straight friends, I realized I started having less patience for like their ignorant comments and stuff. And I just started being like, like, why am I like doing this? Uh, and it's just like, I just really wanted to dive into that, uh, that shift of mindset of like, you know, 
meeting other people and like getting out of that like a Dayton bubble I feel like I was in and realizing like there are other people there are other options and like I, I guess going out of your way and trying to find that community uh and stuff because yeah, yeah. yeah it's just like I remember at uh Black Star, somebody asked, like, why is the best friend white or something? And I was just, like, I was writing about my, like, real-life experience, <laughs> you yeah. know? And uh, just, like, this world that I was in and just, like, the realization of, like, like why, like, the self-reflection of, like, you know, why am I putting up with this? Because this isn't okay. And now I realize this isn't okay. And it's just kind of, like, your own standards of, like, self-worth and respect and stuff I feel like and realizing like wait a minute I can be I deserve more I can be asking for more respect and stuff right and you just that, that transformed your whole perspective like you couldn't return to, to the state you were at before I couldn't <laughs> yeah and it's sometimes it's hard for me to try to think about that and remember it when writing how I'm about it because <laughs> I'm just like uh Cause, cause honestly, when I feel it, I feel like when I first wrote episodes one and two, cause it was like two years ago or something, I was like way more early in this point of view. Cause I remember just like for me looking at it, I can just see the difference. Cause it, there was a year gap between the shooting episodes one and two. It was like the summer of 2016. Then we did the rest of summer of 2017. And I just feel like I grew a lot in that year and I can just, I can personally see it in like, you know, tiny subtext things. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just like, I'm sure people can relate to that feeling of like. Yeah, I relate. I relate totally to that. Stepping out of that white world and realizing like, it, it's like really realizing like, wait, it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah, I, I related to the concept of, that I've, come to realize is like giving you it takes realizing a community being around people that are that share similar values as you that you weren't around before in your like childhood experience to be like oh I can give myself permission now to be who I am you know what I mean because now I it's not that that you the other people are giving you permission it's that oh all of a sudden now I I didn't realize I wasn't giving myself permission to be brown or to be queer yes. you know what I mean it's like that's exactly how it felt for me. It was like, I'm not allowing myself to like be black and queer. Just as you said, like that's perfectly how it felt. And because it's just like in these spaces before it like, I feel like wasn't appreciated or like it would mess up the vibe or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. it, it's just like- I The vibe of white supremacy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, witchcraft and white, wait, no. Witchcraft and white trickery. Yes, there it is. <laughs> Um, Happy Halloween. <laughs> Spoop. Because um, I remember it's just like I'd bring up. No, I'm just checking the battery. Oh, I was like, is something? Is someone there? No, <laughs> looking at this camera, you can't tell though. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, I was. Uh... I don't know. It's just like. Uh... I got questions for you. Okay. <laughs> so probably the last one would be. Uh, what does the future look like for Leah Bird? And who do you want to, uh, who do you want to work with in the future? No limits. Just like where you, you know, you, I feel like you should always aim 
for you should just be like here's exactly what i want you know what i mean like even it doesn't matter how impossible it seems because you never know in five years who knows you know what i mean so anyways what what does the future look, look like for leah bird <laughs> i guess um probably like moving away from dayton perhaps in la uh I don't know. I mean, just like working on shows. It's just like, you know, the dream would be working on my own shows and doing that. Uh, and it's just like, like I said, I, I love Lena Waithe stuff, Issa Rae, Justin Simeon. Uh, it's just like. All right, we'll get you in touch with them. Phoebe Robinson is dope. I love Two Dope Queens. Uh, uh, it's just like I could keep going on with a bunch of people i like i like a lot of people on the internet i like i think it would be so cool to do something with a uh, drag but i think i'm going to incorporate it into that season too um, yeah. uh, so where can people find season one how can they engage with season one well you can go to facebook.com forward slash hot and bothered series uh or if you literally just google hot and bothered series Mine comes up, so or leobird.com, you know. Right. Uh, we'll put the link in the in, the, in this episode. Um, but is it just are they watching it on Facebook or just what's the the place? You know what I mean? Yeah, we have it on our Facebook page. Uh, Facebook's our main hub right now. Cool. For stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Zuckerberg. Yeah. yeah, get sucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. This has been awesome. You are amazing, creative, courageous, vulnerable, and hilarious. Maybe I'll do the show later on where I'm actually sitting next to you. I never really thought of it because I don't have a brain. But Oh. Yeah. Good night.